Hi, everyone. Welcome to Meet the Rockadopolis. I'm Yes Like Rockadopolis. And I'm Lance Rockadopolis. And today is part one of a two part discussion of kinky and vanilla worldviews. So here are a couple of definitions of the term worldview. The first is a comprehensive conception or apprehension of the world, especially from a specific standpoint. And another definition is a worldview is the set of beliefs about fundamental aspects of reality that ground and influence all of one's perceiving, thinking, knowing, etc. And these definitions both actually come from good old Merriam-Webster. So Lance and I both live in at least two different worlds, the vanilla world and the kink world. Our vanilla worlds are taken up with work and family and the occasional hike. And then our kink world is really our own little family of two, which we hope to grow into a bigger family, not with babies, of course, unfortunately. <laughs> Remember when I told you that I was pregnant when we first, mm-hmm. was, yeah, and then you realized it was April Fool's. It was April Fool's she Day. She tried to trick me, but did it work? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it would have been pretty outlandish if I were pregnant at that point. And so we do have to shift between those two worlds on a regular basis. For example, when we're with our respective natal families. And of course, families often play a significant role in the development of worldviews. And vestiges of those worldviews can still influence the views and behaviors of adult children throughout their lives. For example, I still pray to Allah every day, even though I'm not a Muslim. I do it because of my mother's connection to Sufism. I prayed with her when I was a kid, and I still do it, and I still use the Arabic word for God. And I often do feel that I have to move between different worlds carefully and judiciously. And I don't really enjoy doing that, actually. It can be stressful. Uh, If we had a much less complicated life, and I think we're hoping to get there relatively soon, I think we'd have a lot less stress. I would anyway. And when we are finally living together and living the life that we have been working toward, we will need to have a worldview for that life. We will need to have a kind of a map for how we're going to live our lives. So that's why we are focusing on worldview now. What is the purpose of having one? What do we have to gain by creating or identifying a personal worldview? Why talk about it on the podcast? What does it mean for our relationship and for any future additions to our household? Okay, uh, you pose some great questions. Uh, Why should one have a worldview or what are the benefits One thing is that a worldview directs one's thinking. I would say that it guides one's decision-making, helping us navigate through this complex world and provides a framework for that complexity and helps us understand the world better. And that's probably true of everyone if they stop and think of it. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about 
TPE and dealing with vanilla interference. Um, it becomes orders of magnitude more difficult. You're starting to sound like me. Yes. And when those complexities challenge us in some way, a worldview provides a plan of action in times of troubles and helps us cope with you know setbacks and life's difficulties. If one has a well-developed open worldview, it allows us to understand other opinions and allows us to share perspectives with people of other cultures and, you know, life history. Political and social leaders would also say that it is a unifying force for cultures, allowing consensus for changes that need to be made for societies. Lastly, it can provide a framework for one's own personal development, encouraging self-reflection and critical thinking about our own observations of the world. And right, and world views can also direct one's thinking whether you're aware of it or not. For example, if you're a non-denominational Christian who believes that God will find favor with you if you give a lot of money to your megachurch, then you might be likely to do so. A kinky worldview might be seeing the kink world as their oyster. They want to try everything. And in fact, there's an ethic associated with that. There's the idea that you should try everything, that being kinky almost requires that you try to do as many kinks as possible, that it's all about exploration. It's all about finding new things out about yourself, really. I was actually recently called out, bizarrely, by a stranger on FetLife for not personally embracing role fluidity, right? Essentially for not wanting to switch. Can you imagine telling a male dom that they should try switching? Mm-hmm. I don't think that would go down very well. At least not on FetLife. I mean, I understand there's a history of structured evolution of roles, like in the leather community, right? Mm. Like you start Mm -hmm. out as a sub, and if you get far enough along, then you become a dom. That's certainly not how most people do it these days, as far as I know. But regardless, that's not what that bitch was talking about. She just wanted to try to force me to be a sub like her, I guess, or at Hmm. least to try it out. So anyway... I found a source on worldviews on a blog called Every that organizes elements of worldview in terms of six different areas of philosophical inquiry, basically distilling each area of inquiry into a single question of issue. So as we think about our worldviews, Lance and I will address each of those questions with regard to how we understand and experience our vanilla and kinky worlds, respectively. So we'll start out with ontology. Ontology is a branch of metaphysics that deals with the nature and relations of being. And so the question of issue there is, what exists? Obviously, a lot of things exist, probably too many things. Uh, to think about, really. Mm -hmm. When I hear the word ontology, I'm thinking Plato's ideal forms and also how he breaks things out 
into like a duality of nature. His dualistic views of reality divides, meaning that there is a division between the physical world and true reality of forms, which is this mystical woo-woo transcendent realm. In his allegory of the cave, he posits that the physical world is merely a reflection or shadow of a higher realm of unchanging forms, which is the true reality. I think he must have been doing some psychedelics. <laughs> For Aristotle, who rejected Plato's conception of forms, Aristotle thought that all substances are composed of matter, highly, which is the underlying thing or substance, and form, morphe, which is the structure that gives something its essence. But ultimately, way to get to that understanding is through observation, and that's where the empiricism comes in. So in terms of a kinky ontology, anything can really be a kink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what exists in the world of kink? All sorts of wonderful sexual weirdness, you know, splashing with pies, sex with ghosts, balloons, the list goes on and on. And if you're interested, I would direct one to therapyroutes.com's <laughs> list of paraphilias and guide to uncommon sexual interests. Oh, I thought you were actually directing me to a therapist. You need to go the therapy route. Right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, if you want to go delve into that list, they've got like 90 different paraphilias. <laughs> so there are many things that exist in the kink universe. Let's talk about the second philosophical inquiry from that blog entry, cosmology. Cosmology is a branch of astronomy and physics that deals with with the study of the origin, evolution, structure, and eventual fate of the universe as a whole. But for this episode, we're including the systems of belief about the origin and development of the universe. So the first question is, how did we get here? Did the turtle dive into the primeval waters and retrieve mud to create Mother Earth? Or as the ancient Greeks, Egyptians, and Abrahamic mythology posits, order came from out of chaos. Did God create the world in six days and on the seventh rested? Personally, I find it fascinating that turtles are involved with the creation myth around the world, from Native Americans to Hindu Indians and even Norse mythology. Science will tell us that around 13.8 billion years ago, the universe underwent a rapid and dramatic expansion known as cosmic inflation. This expansion caused the universe to expand and cool rapidly, leading to the formation of fundamental particles like protons, neutrons, electrons, and subsequently planets, stars, and galaxies. Very good. You just bring so many resources to the podcast, and doing impressions is definitely one of them. Remember when you did the Sod impression? <laughs> no. When we were talking about uh, 100 Days of Sodom? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Okay. But what you just heard was my best impression of Carl Sagan, not a Carl Sagan. <laughs> <laughs> How many Carl Sagan's are there? In the multiverse. Right. 
So for now, I'm sticking with scientific explanations of the birth of the universe and of the origins of life and biodiversity on Earth. In terms of the kink world, uh, well, the more I'm on fat life, the less certain I am that kink actually exists. And I guess I'm saying that half facetiously. There does seem to be a kind of a death drive in the kink world, a drive to purify all the kink out of the kink world. But thankfully, I do think that tide is turning. Yeah, you mentioned multiple times that there seemed to be an overabundance of rules in, in the kink world. But you questioning whether kink actually exists sounds more like an ontological question. But in order to answer that, I think all we really need is just one example. And I can point to us as proof. We are definitely kinky. So therefore, ergo, kink exists. Indeed. Yes, that's a very good point. That's helpful to my morale. We exist um, as far as we know, even if we are the only people who do the real true kink. <laughs> Is that more facetious language? Maybe. Depends on my mood. So now we'll talk about axiology which is the study of the nature of value and valuation and of the kinds of things that we find valuable. And the question of issue associated with axiology is, what is the good worth striving for? I think we gain a lot from figuring out that question for ourselves. What's worth striving for? I personally think that choosing to adopt another person's values is okay, but I really believe a person's life would be poorer for it. There are a few things that I think are worth working for. Physical health and physical fitness are among them. Being independently wealthy, if I could pull it off, would be something worth working for not having to rely on other people to make decisions for how you for how much money you have and how you make it and i think good friendships are also really worth working for stoicism has a lot to say about this stoics seem to have values all figured out they have a definite world view on how one should live one's life and some of the things that you mentioned would definitely be on their list. Stoicism takes the lawfulness of the cosmos as the model on which human life is to proceed. The universe itself is how one should live your life. They saw the universe as ordered and following laws that humans should be obedient to, and the whole principle of orderliness is really central to their worldview. Especially in the days of the Roman Empire, rationality and rule of law was the intellectual foundation for their society. So if we find within the next few months a genuine prospect for polyandry, would you want that prospect to learn about Stoicism, to sort of embrace Stoicism as part of what would be required for him to be a successful member of our family. 
I think it would help, but ultimately, I think that decision is yours, um, whether he should study or adopt that frame of reference. Right. But would you recommend? I would. Yes. Okay. Definitely. Cool. So in terms of kink, I think that trust, intimacy, and erotic energy are life-affirming. But I think that there's also something bigger at stake. And it's kind of hard for me to put my finger on it at this point. But I, I feel like I'm almost at the threshold of being able to articulate what I'm talking about. Not quite there. Maybe it's a kind of standing one's ground against or outside of the vanilla world, for lack of a better term. Sexual politics have always been connected to bigger societal trends and conflicts. And I really feel that kink could be doing more than just talking about the necessity of consent. Of course, consent is necessary, but there could be so much more going on in how we're thinking about kink and its role in bigger societal pictures. Yeah, I agree. For me, service and and having or deepening that sense of service, of, of being a slave, it, it's what Beyond Obedience describes as, quote, being born, meaning that the slave has reached a state of being completely owned by his master and has become a part of his owner. In a sense, he is uh, a part of or a hand of the master. That's what I'm striving for. I wonder if something like a rite of passage could be involved in that. If it's about being born, what would that kind of rite of passage look like? That just occurred to me right now, so I don't <laughs> I don't expect you to like come right. up with come up with ideas for it right now, but it's def- definitely worth considering. Not just a beating, not right. just the BDSM, but an ordeal. Right. Like a, maybe a multi-day ordeal or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe climbing um, a Concagua, right? <laughs> a real serious mountain. Right, or being thrown in a oubliette <laughs> for a week. Right, and being reborn into the light, like the cavers right. talk about. Correct. Like that you come out of the you come out of the cave, and it's like you're reborn. That's mm-hmm. what I've heard people say. So this concludes part one of our two-part discussion of worldviews. Part two will continue our discussion of our vanilla and kinky worldviews. So until then, have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>